<laughs> okay, everyone. So welcome to the 2020 co-working edition. This is where we ask 20 questions in 20-ish minutes. We'll probably go 30, right. 40 minutes knowing Sean and I. We have a lot to talk about here. The intention is to leave people feeling uplifted, informed, and inspired. I'm your host, Lisa Skyhane. In this particular edition of 20 and 20, and during the month of, month of June, I'm connecting with industry experts, operators, vendors, and of course, most importantly, a number of our co-working members who help us to pay the bills and keep the lights on. And we're learning how together we will weather this storm. So co-working, of course, as a defined term, has been around for over a decade now. Executive office suites have been around for 30, 40 plus years. Um, much like many, many industries, the real estate, co-working, uh, and office space industries have been hugely impacted by this pandemic. Yeah. Um, co-working, I certainly strongly agree, will survive and thrive. The question is, how long will it take? What will the landscape of the next 24 months look like? Um, you know, large and small companies, I believe, will want the flexible terms co-working spaces offer. And, um, and we're going to talk about a number of these things and more with our guest, Sean Black, here today. Welcome, yep. Sean. Thank you for having me. Yes, my pleasure. So Sean Black is the co-founder and CEO of Black RE. Do you call it Black RE or you call it Black Real Estate? No, we drop the, we're dropping the RE. You call it Black, right? Just I black. know. I, I see the black and the with the period so strong. At yes, the end. we like that. It's uh, mm. it's uh, 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 declarative. I like it exactly. Um, so black uh, you, at black, you leverage proprietary technology to shepherd tenants through yeah. the office leasing process, strategic consulting, operational planning. Yeah. You help them with site selection, lease negotiations, all the way to overseeing construction and providing post transaction services. Um, did I miss anything in that nutshell? No, that's a that 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 that's a that's a very concise description. Perfect. Okay, great. So, um, Sean, you went to the University of Western Ontario in Canada. You have a BA in psychology. I'm sure that has yes. helped you tremendously over the last two decades in commercial real estate. <laughs> yes, it's how I've survived, actually. A hundred percent. Constant um, self assessment. You worked with, I mean, all of really the biggest brokerages, Grubb and Ellis, Newmark, Knight Frank, JLL, Cushman and Wakefield. Um, and then you went on to be the executive vice president of real estate at a little co-working company called WeWork, yes. which I'm sure was an, an interesting experience, uh, highly informative and, uh, and, and yes, uh, stories, stories abound, I'm sure, a lot of which you can't share. <laughs> it was a good ride. I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, Exciting I was there, work. as you know, in the very beginning yep. as their second employee and you came in, I mean, literally uh, six years after I did. And so they had grown tremendously at that point. And then you left WeWork to launch Black in 2017. Um, a couple of, by the way, quick fun facts about Sean. So you took up boxing in college and after four and a half years, you qualified for the Olympics by winning the North American Olympic trials. Yep. And you competed in the Summer Olympics in 1996, yes. uh, World Championships and the Pan Am, uh, Pan Am Games, where you actually won a bronze medal. Is that right? Uh, yes. The, I, st I still have the medal that hangs on my wall. I so, love it. And you yeah. know, I've been dying to get you to rumble with me. You know, now rumble's been closed down. But once they open back up, you and I are going to rumble. Yeah, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm all in. Awesome. All awesome. In. Yeah. I love it. So let's dive in, shall we? Yep. So, Sean, obviously, on top of a global pandemic, um, you know, George Floyd happened here three weeks ago. And now 
the fight against racism, the cry that we're hearing echoing across the country uh, for, for criminal justice reform, the amplification of black and minority voices is louder than any voices like this have been heard before because of our access to social media and information. Right. Um, you were in high school and college in Canada, uh, but you spent early years in Houston and obviously you've been back in New York City and in this country for, for quite some time. So what do you think about what's going on in our country right now? Well, it's interesting. Um... Uh, you know, like um, I, um, his, my, my, my history is that I, I, um, I grew up in um, half of my life in Houston and the other half in Toronto uh, mm -hmm. in, in terms of schooling. And so when I was growing up, I was, you know, a multiracial kid. Both of my parents were from Jamaica. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, you know, and, and, and it, it and I didn't look like everybody else. So I, I actually got bullied, you know, quite a bit. So I understand, you know, what it, what it feels like to be marginalized when, when you're, when you're just being bullied. And, you know, I think that when you think about everything that's happening right now, you know, if, if I can go so far as to describe, you know, racism as, you know, it's, it's really, uh, a form of discrimination and a need for power by those who are ex exerting it. Right. Um, uh, there will always be people. The unfortunate thing is that, you know, there are people in the world and there are always been people in the world um, that um, uh, are abusive and have used their, their, their power of, of uh, position to suppress others um, uh, and create inequality in the world and create inequality in the workplace, right? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that is is forefront in my mind when I think about diversity and I think about, you know, the terms, it, it's really not just diversity. It's not just racial diversity. It's not just racial equality. Um, I think the, 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 we need a world where race is actually just out of the equation. Um, because when you think about race, it's really... A code word. It's a code word. It's a code word for inequality. Um, there, the 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 first thing to I think appreciate is that you know in this discussion is that race is just an idea. Okay, uh, the idea um, uh, of of race has been used to uh, scientific. It's 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 uh, it's been demonstrated that it's it doesn't actually exist scientifically. The Human Genome Project. Um, describes it pretty well, uh, mm -hmm. where they were able to demonstrate that there actually are no races, right? Races do not exist. They exist only in our minds, in our social conception of the world, right? The concept is, the, the concept of race is actually man-made. Um, uh, it's, it's a man-made creation uh, to ultimately discriminate and suggest that one group of people um, are genetically superior to another group, right? And uh, really, when you think about our our physical features, those are really based on our geographic locations and our proximity to those people within that geographic location, because we tend to procreate with those people and we share similar characteristics. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that when we talk about um, uh, racial justice, we talk about uh, in racial inclusion. It's just get race out of it and replace it with human, right? Yeah. Human justice, human yeah. inclusion. Um, um, uh, and, and, and then, and, and I think we start to have a little bit of a, we begin now to frame the conversation a little bit.
different. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a it's a great perspective. Yeah. I I mean, I think I'm I'm on one hand I'm I'm here I'm hearing what you're saying and then I'm hearing also though that I mean the reality is that we've judged one another by the appearances of our exterior band-aid you know, the brand was just announcing this last week that, you know, they're suddenly like, oh yeah, we haven't had the skin tone band-aids look like this. You know, they right. haven't offered a multi uh, offering of what skin tone means. And so I think that, um, that that's a lot of what we're talking about here is that we've been judging one another based on how we look, um, you know, and then of course the history of the last 400 years and how particular people have been treated based on how they've looked um and and where they where they've come from well it's interesting because when you think about you know to connect that with the commercial real estate business it's one of the things that i i was always attracted to about the commercial real estate business is that it is an industry and a profession where it is it is a it's very close to a meritocracy in in in, in a lot of respects um you know there in in many cases depending on what your role is in the industry uh, and, and my role is uh, commercial advisor, commercial real estate advisor and, and brokerage and transaction services. Um, mm -hmm. There are not a lot of layers, right? Uh, you, we, we function in, as, uh, uh, as uh, uh, consultants and we are providing our intellectual capability to, to clients at the end of the day. So the clients are really the ones that ultimately hire us. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, you know, the, the, the industry is, the, the the there's a there's a real opportunity to have high achievement in the business if you apply yourself and um and you do what you need to do to educate yourself gain your skills and build business right um so i think that that uh that that framework of the commercial real estate industry is a really wonderful uh, uh framework that doesn't mean it's not difficult it is difficult but um it's more closer to meritocracy in, in, in my experience. Absolutely. So before we talk real estate, let's talk briefly here about boxing. Uh, Sean, <laughs> what, is it, what does it take to win 110 of 125 fights that you were in? That's a good question. Um, uh, sheer determination will, uh, it's funny because I've never considered myself a natural athlete. Um, and, um, the only reason that I think that I've been able to advance and achieve the things that I've achieved, whether it's boxing, it's not because I'm an exceptionally, you know, I don't think that I'm particularly exceptional in anything except that I, 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 I know how far I, I did. I, I realized early on largely from sports, from boxing, I knew, I, I recognized how far I can go before I physically collapse. Yeah. And so I think that there are a lot of people that, just give up too early in whatever it is that they're doing. They set out with such great excitement and such great energy. And then it's, it begins to fizzle out, right? It when it starts getting really difficult. And the truth is that when it gets the most difficult is when you're making the, 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 the greatest progress, you just can't see it because it's so painful, right? The Ooh, pain what is, a great the analogy pain, for business. Yeah, the Ooh. pain is actually, is actually blocking the, the light that, that shows your actual progress because the amount of effort oh that's come into God, it. God, an incredible analogy for business. Just when it gets darkest, just when it get, just yeah. when the coronavirus comes in. Right, right. It's, it <laughs> you never fails. You gotta say I mean, to yourself, uh, yeah. Oh my God. 
Um, how do you think that your champion boxer mindset has contributed to your success, uh, you know, in your career over the last 20 years? Uh, that's a good question. Another good question. I think that um, probably the most difficult thing to deal with as an athlete and when you're just competing in the world in anything, quite frankly, is mm -hmm. dealing with a loss, right? Losses are really, really mm -hmm. difficult. Um, mm -hmm. Competition and, and, and a lot of, a lot of competition, uh, ex competition experience, uh, which you get from being in a sports, uh, you know, a highly competitive sports environment, gets you mm -hmm. used to those failures and gets you used to that, those crushing blows. And so you begin to understand that in order to grow and get better, you've got to reassess yourself constantly, look in the mirror, question your skill sets, which is, can be extremely painful, mm -hmm. right? And really begin to uh, go back to the drawing board every time you've had, uh, you, you know, you've hit, a, you've hit a hurdle. And the willingness, yeah. to, and, and not sort of, as I said, you know, uh, put your tail between your legs and just, and, and, you know, hit the couch. It really is as simple as just determination, which is not so simple. Right. But Keep I think going. That, yeah, I think that uh, the other thing that, that, uh, you know, that uh, fighting actually helped me to deal with was just the sheer pressure that you deal with on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. When you are in the ring and you are, as I said before, when you're in the ring and you're, and you're hit with a blow that's crushing, that you see everything black. The last thing that you want to do is to, sh to show that you, have, you are immobilized, that you can't go forward, that you, uh, you need to keep your composure. And so mm -hmm. the ability to keep your composure in, a very, in difficult settings is really, really important, particularly during negotiations um, uh, in, in, in the real estate business. You've got to always keep your composure. Keep a cool Ooh. head. Right? Getting, yeah. getting, allowing your emotions it's emotions are great that you you should use your emotions but you know the result of the emotions if you allow uh, uh unproductive behavior to result from those emotions it is can be crippling so yeah uh, uh uh competing at a high level really helped me sort of hone those 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 skills yes yes um so you spent a long time in commercial real estate, what, 15, 16 years, I think, before you were with WeWork. Is that probably right? Yeah, I, I met Adam Newman uh, in 2011. I yep. started working with them uh, in advising WeWork very early on um, and did one of their first very large transactions, a little over 100,000 square feet. At 175 Eric, right? At 175 Eric, yeah. And that yep. was really the, the, the transaction that announced that put them on the map, right? That announced mm -hmm. that, you know, we're a force. And at the time, people didn't really understand what is WeWork? It was such a, yeah. right? it was just a strange name, WeWork yeah. at the time, right? Today, yeah. these kinds of names are normal, right? Like Gwibby yeah. and like Fuzzy and Clutter, all these <laughs> right. strange names for companies. But back then, yeah. you know, WeWork, that sounds so, it's so uncorporate, you know? Anyway, yeah, um, yeah so, and, uh, uh, you know, I worked with them, as a, in, a third party intermediary brokerage advisor uh, at the previous firms that I was with, yeah. And then you joined them as executive vice president of real estate. Um, you were intimately involved with them for I think 10, 12 months before you left. Yes. What do you think is the trajectory for WeWork right now, Sean? 
Ah, the trajectory for WeWork. Well, I don't necessarily know. I, I don't necessarily know that I can add to the WeWork narrative that much because there has been so much that has been written about WeWork. But mm -hmm. I can tell you just generally about um, the, yeah. the the industry as a whole, the sort of the co-working industry, um, uh, and you know, sort of where I think the real estate market is sort of headed. Like when you think about. Um, uh, you know, let's just sort of, let me back up. Let me back to Chuckle for a second. So mm -hmm. let's sort of go back to what you were talking about a bit. Now I'll answer your question. Let's define co-working, right? Yeah. Um, um, it is a facility where people um, from different companies um, uh, uh, share physical space, right? Yep. And infrastructure to run their businesses, right? Ooh. And they have access to... Um, uh, they, they can access and be close to uh, other businesses and other people. They're in close proximity. And ultimately, they're spreading the cost of occupying that facility amongst all of those people. It's a shared model, right? Um, yep. But it's really funny how uh, it sounds so very similar to a multi-tenanted office building. Mm. I've often said that a, co uh, uh, you know, a multi-tenanted office building is a co-working company. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's a co-working business. It's just a bigger one. Right. Not just on one floor. Co-working operator. I think that. Uh, um, um, so co-working operators have shed light on something uh, interesting, which is that commercial real estate doesn't have to be a commodity. Um, customers are willing to pay a premium for turnkey solutions, which I don't think many landlords completely appreciated uh, or how much of a premium. And then WeWork actually demonstrated that. Yeah. Um, and, and they're paying that for flexibility. They're paying it for amenities. They're paying it for services and for more communi community, like culture. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so what the, 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 so what, but what the, so since landlords weren't doing that, yeah. the co-working companies came in and did it, but uh, and the co-working business model has always been a good business model. What many co-working companies did is they they took density, which was really allowed the organizations to be very profitable, right? Because yeah. you could spread it out over a number of people. But it, you took it; they, people took it a little bit too far in some cases, where density became overcrowding, mm -hmm. right? And so, and that that overcrowding actually diminish some of the positive aspects of the, the co-working business. Um, uh, and not all providers did this, but the, the, the challenge is that when you begin to, if any organization goes out and they look to acquire space and they, and they, and they, they, they run their financial numbers and they play with the density, they can make the numbers sing and dance and make a transaction look good, which means they're, they, they're, they're pro uh, uh, uh income that suggests that they can pay a higher rent, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Well, well, and by the that, way, though, and functionally, of course, it, if you have higher density, it also diminishes the actual experience that's of, of the user, of, that's of the right. client. Yeah, it diminishes the experience. It, you know, the the the, the amenities are are taxed. Uh, the community culture is not necessarily well managed because there's mm -hmm. just too many people. Uh, yeah. But so now, what happens? What happens in this the environment we're going into a tenants market, 
we're going yeah. into an environment where availabilities are going to increase and uh, uh, um, uh, prices will go down for space to landlords. And if you are, if you have a high basis, you are, uh, uh, it's, you're, you're inelastic. You can't reduce your base, yeah. right? So uh, the, the challenge is that if you've- Well, you have to enough, hire black, you have to hire black to renegotiate To your restructure lease. your leases, yes, that goes without saying. But so now essentially what you have is, you know, you have a double whammy now with the coronavirus um, uh, where, you know, people are now gonna be occupying um, uh, more square feet per person as a requirement by the CDC. Mm. So what that means is that you can no longer have the same kind of density that you originally pro forma for your other deals, which makes how, the numbers challenging to work. How are landlords going to make adjustments on behalf of their tenants, given that, 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 that dictation by the CDC? Well, landlords have a little bit, they have, they have more uh, arrows in their quiver because they have equity in the building, because they have an asset. You know, they're able to, they can restructure their debt. They can, they can sell off, they can condominiumize their retail. They can do, they have much more uh, flexibility in terms of restructuring their deals. They can go to the, to the lenders and get forbearance. Um, so they have, a, they, have, they have many more tools at their disposal than, yeah. you know, the, let's say, a, you know, a lessee, which is what, you know, a co-working facility is, right? Um, but so I, you know, I think that we're going, we're going to see significant margin compression, uh, mm -hmm. uh, in, in, you know, for the, for any reseller, any reseller of, uh, uh, of space as inventory continues to increase. Right. hundred um, percent. So we're going to get to some of these points too, but you're avoiding yeah, sure. my question a little bit. What, what is the trajectory for WeWork? <laughs> oh, I think that it's a challenge. I think that, uh, uh, for whether it's, not specifically for WeWork, but anyone in the co-working industry, it's yeah. going to be a very, very rocky road because if you have done a lot of transactions in the height of the market, when yeah. the market comes down, it becomes, your, again, your, your, your margin compression begins to increase dramatically. So it just makes it harder for the numbers to work. It's very right. difficult, so, but I mean, that's what I was going to say to you, you know, to challenge your statement that co-working has always been a good business model. I think that statement needs a little bit of uh, elaboration. It's been a okay. good business model if you have, uh, you know, certain a low basis. below a certain low basis, I was going to say. And um, yeah, you know, you see these large, you know, on the coattails of WeWork is this brand industrious, of course, with over 100 locations around the country now. Uh, the first 50 deals that they did were structured landlord tenant, you know, traditional lease style. And now uh, they're doing management deals in the last 50 deals. They just did six deals in Manhattan in the last two years. And five of the six of them, and I think with five different landlords are management deals. And they're starting, I, they just announced what two weeks ago, taking over, is it a Thor equities brand that was launched? Is that maybe on 39th street? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, so good business model. I mean, you know, a business coach friend of mine recently said to me, um, you know, it's not a good business. And it's a blanket statement, all businesses. He said, it's not a good business if um, your fixed expenses are more than 30 to 40% of your revenue. 
in the co-working industry and in particular in New York City where the rents are so high, show me someone other than Judas Rohr, you know, who and uh, you know, some, some inside relations you may have, you know, familial longtime uh, relations and, and being a savvy negotiator, which you'd appreciate me saying. Um, you know, getting those low basis deals uh, I, for the lay person, the, the, the new brand coming into the market as a co-working operator, those are difficult to come by. Yeah. So I think that, uh, 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 yeah, it's, there, it's very difficult to come by. I think to be truly successful in the co-working space, it requires, uh, you know, meaningful operating history, right? Mm -hmm. you, you've had to have, you've had to have been in it for a little while to learn the, you know, get to, 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 to get punched in the gut a few times I was gonna say to, to survive and, and understand the, the mistakes totally. because it seems so easy, right? You're <sighs> just rent, you're leasing space and you're going to sublease it out to somebody else. But it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, 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 it's not as easy as it, as it appears, unfortunately. But you know, when, again, you know, you have, organizations like JSuite, which is a great company, they yep. have significant operational leverage because of the way that they're actually structured, you know, yep. the way that they handle construction, the way that they yep. do diligence, their ability to make decisions very fast and, you know, their domain expertise just in the real estate business and the asset market business. So sure. Uh, and also something that they've done, which, you know, as part of primary strategy in our expansion over the last several years, is they also are taking larger footprints in, in, in buildings or sometimes occupying an entire building, which gives them leverage you know, with the landlord, I think, and certainly any renegotiation, right? Yes. I, so look, I, the, the, I have now been through three, I've been through three market cycles. Yeah. Okay. 2000, 2008, and now this, uh, yep. the, what we're experiencing now. And so the one thing that, uh, you know, it's, it's the herd mentality, you know, and it's very similar to the equities market. What you see is that when prices begin to go up, everybody starts buying. Right. When prices go down, no one wants to buy anymore. Right. But in the real estate market, just like the equities market, when prices go down, that's really when you should be uh, acquiring leases for yeah. a low basis. Because just by virtue of market changes, you will your margins begin now to increase, and you end up with a you know you end up building equity in your lease, right? Yeah. So with that equity, you can it's an asset that it's an invisible asset that doesn't show up on the balance sheet. I agree with you. I think that, of course, the challenge, though, over the next six to 18 months, Sean, is is going to be evaluating what are realistic expectations for operators as it relates to occupancy and, and trying to project the next That's six correct. to 18 months because we don't know uh, how safe everyone will feel. New York City is coming out uh, into phase two here opening on Monday, which I'm surprised, honestly, personally, that it's, it's this soon, just two weeks after phase one. I'm, I'm quite shocked. Um, I thought it might not be until July, but so we are certainly not expecting any big influx of, of people who have office space with us on Monday. Uh, in fact, as we've taken a very personal approach and talked to a lot of different members, you know, especially the companies that are 10 people plus, you know, much like the statements that are coming out from the Googles, the Microsoft, Wells Fargo, these big firms that are, are indicating their uh, dictating to their employees they're working from home until September, October, or maybe even into next year. I think that occupancies are going to continue to stay uh, lower 
um, than, than what we certainly hope or, or in the market prior to COVID, that's for sure. Right. So you bring up another interesting point when you think about occupancy, right? It, but it's also about, look, I, there's discussion about uh, uh, companies taking a portion of their workforce and, 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 and those people working remote. Well, the reality is that when this all began, everyone thought that, well, they're going to get rid of all the real estate. But if you now go back now, if we understand that we've been operating at 150 square feet per person, mm -hmm. uh, which is very overcrowded office space, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that traditionally we were at 250 square feet per person. What mm -hmm. happens now is the, the 150, uh, by the way, sorry, we were, we, uh, but wait, wait, but we work in like 50 square feet per person in their build outs. No, I mean, we no, are no, we're that's like, co-working. That's co why the co-working model it. works. Got so it, the co-working model will work at 75 square feet rentable or 50 square feet usable. But in, you know, typical offices that are not co-working, yeah. uh, you know, you're more at like, if you, once you start yeah. breaching that 150 square feet per person, it starts yeah. to get very tight. Okay. Yeah. Um, but now what we're seeing is what we're going to see where the puck's going is that companies are going to allocate more square feet per person. So the impact could be net neutral on the amount of space that they need. We have clients mm -hmm. right now when uh, we were chatting with them, they were saying, oh, we're going to get rid of so much of our requirement. And they've come back and said, oh, actually, no, we have to rethink that now. We actually need this. We're actually going to need the space, despite the fact that, you know, we're going to we're going to employ a, a work from home uh, a remote um, uh, strategy. Um, mm -hmm. I'm going to add something to this. So with all the doom and gloom of remote, um, I, I reminded people of a scuttlebutt that was happening uh, uh, in the 90s. And in the mm -hmm. 90s, there was the belief that technology was going to advance to a degree that it would allow us to be so efficient and so productive that we would only have to work four days a week. Yeah. Right? It was called the four-day work week. I don't know if you remember. Yeah. You know what happened? What? We ended up working seven days a week, even on the weekends. Because <laughs> what we did is now that we were more productive and more efficient, we said, oh, look at all this other time that we can actually go try to generate revenue. So right. we just added more to our calendar. So, um, you know, what I think uh, is that this whole, the, 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 the change that's going on, um, and I think that what that is, is going to catapult two structural uh, results. One is it's going to be very, very difficult on startups, extremely difficult. Um, that's number one. And the other, the other one is that the larger organizations are going to get even bigger. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll explain. But the why I think it'll be difficult for startups is because just the way venture capital has funded startups and medium-sized business over the last number of years, mm -hmm. um, real estate has actually been an off-balance has 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 been. Uh, 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 has financed the growth of these companies without getting equity in their businesses, right? Because, you know, they've, they've, they've effectively been able to, um, these companies have, have been able to increase their density of office space, right? So they can get more people in less space, pay less money for that on an aggregate basis, right? Mm -hmm. Or per person, rather than having to go out and raise more capital to take more office space. So the real estate has indirectly financed the growth of many of these organizations. With social distancing, professional distancing standards 
in place where we're going back to old square foot per employee ratios, it makes it much more difficult for a young organization and emerging company to be able to afford that growth unless they're going to leverage a more remote strategy, which is a concern for the commercial real estate market. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, but on the other side, with large organizations, um, you know, they will, they, as, as they grow, even with this remote strategy, what ultimately happens, which they will grow, is that they're going to apply a higher square foot per employee ratio, which yeah. means they're going to take, there's going to be even larger transactions that we'll see in the market relative to the amount of people that, uh, uh, you know, a facility needs to house. So interesting. So, so how can... Can, how can mom and pops uh, operators, you know, with 100,000 square feet or less, be successful over the next 12 to 24 months? Mom and pop operators, you mean uh, in the co-working business? Yeah, in the co-working business. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so I think that I think it goes back to um, we need to sort of go back to the basics, right? We talk about any time that I've had a had a had a failure when I was competing. The, the, the thing that I always reminded myself is I need to go back to the basics. One, two. Mm-hmm. It's very simple. You throw a jab, you throw a right hand. That's it. Mm-hmm. Just work on that. Stop getting fancy. <laughs> so that's what needs right. to happen is that stop being fancy. Go back to the basics. Mm-hmm. What are the basics? The basics are what the, the shared space and co-working industry was really built on. It was built mm-hmm. on delivering flexibility, amenities, it was built on uh, this shared environment where people could share the costs. Um, so all of those things that were nurtured early on, they need to be overly enhanced. People will still pay a premium for those, right? Yeah. As the market shifts and landlords struggle to get rid of space, they themselves will have economic challenges. So they themselves might not be investing in all of the other type of infrastructure that a co-working company might otherwise invest in, right? Yeah. Uh, community management, connecting people. So those things will be valuable as we go into, you know, an economic downturn. You could see, I could talk to you for an hour about this stuff. I want, I'm like, I want to just keep going and talking, you know, this yeah, yeah, is yeah. so fascinating okay. to me. Um, but, but so, uh, yeah, let's talk real quick about Jamie Hodari's work from home theory or concept, you know, four-pronged approach that he uh, put up on LinkedIn, uh, which was a, a repost of an internal memo that he, he put out. Uh, he, he said that the future of work is work from anywhere. The four prongs are number one uh, companies, and this could, this could apply certainly to a 10-person team or a 1,000-person company. They will have a headquarters, number one, uh, in one particular location where they can bring most of their employees together. Number two, there will be satellite offices that are in, in locations closer to the proximity where their employees are. Number three, there will be a work from home component of some sort. And number four, it'll be supported by a technology that will allow the team to come together and work a la Zoom. Um, do you agree this is the direction that it's going in? No, I, I, I think that it's a, I think it's a very competent and very um, insightful framework that uh, he Jamie's provided. Um, yeah. I do think that we go into we, the market goes the market goes into waves, right? So we in, in the, the, if you look back historically, you'll always see that organizations go through a phase of centralization. Everybody mm-hmm. needs to be together. We need a hub. 
uh, sorry, we need a centralized office. And then, Thank you. Yep. and then they say, oh, we need now be, we need to be more distributed. So the same, this is the same uh, um, uh, trend that's reoccurring, but is being triggered by Corona, obviously, right? So um, I do think that there will be organizations that will look to employ uh, a strategy similar to that, but not all organizations can do that, right? Um, sure. it's, 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 it's fairly complicated. It's also complex. By the way, I'm rooting for that to happen, particularly since we have just finished architecting our new lease administration strategy software called Folio, which mm. we de deploy to clients. Um, uh, so that helps large organizations be able to manage a portfolio of leases, regardless of, you know, whether if it's an office lease or whether it's a co-working a, a licensing agreement um, uh, so that they can have a visibility in what their cost basis is and be able to understand critical dates when mm -hmm. leases ex are expiring and also assess whether they're being billed incorrectly, you know, in one location uh, relative to what they're, what they committed for in lease. So th that kind of general, com what, what, what Jamie's describing is a very complex uh, management system of operating your real estate, right, with a number of different types of facilities. So, um, uh, not and, and not every organization and, will be able to do that well, but they'll do it better with our software. And and larger and larger organizations obviously will be implementing that more so. But so my my thought was, you know, will small and larger operators start to develop partnerships to accommodate the suburban market? and sort of employee needs in, as it relates to rural spread um, to cut down on commute times and therefore maintain a higher level of safety on behalf of the employees. So when you think about, um, when we think about uh, uh, reurbanization and what happened in the last run up, what we're talking about now is the, is the, the beginning of a potential reversing of reurbanization. So if that happens, then um, you know, there have been many developers out there who have decided that that who have who have been 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 very clever and they have gone and developed facilities on transportation hubs, on train stations uh, close, you know, where where metro lines come in or, you know, where uh, uh, the, the hi multiple highways cross. Right. Yep. So transportation is, is, is critical. And so um, uh, I do see that there are organizations that are large that will you know, uh, uh, create a satellite office for their employees, okay? Yep. For those people, they may not want to be in public transportation so that they can drive there, right? Um, however, not again, not every organization will be able to do that. So that's where, yeah. you know, a co-working company or a co-working facility might be able to deliver a solution. As yeah. long as it is commensurate with the, um, uh, the uh, spatial standards of that, you know the organization that they're that they're uh, they're servicing, right? So it will, in all uh, 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 in all probability, it's also going to take a rethinking of the way space is designed for co-working companies to address this. And it and it somewhat harks back to a more traditional uh, uh, executive suite approach, which is what co-working used to be called before it became co-working. It was an, yeah. it was an executive suite model where drywall separated the occupiers there weren't these giant team rooms where everyone was crammed together but you know there were more discrete uh, um, uh, uh, environments 
for each yeah. of the different businesses, right? And there was less social space, yep. less lounges where people would just have these, you know, run across each other for these serendipitous interactions, right? That could lead to further business development. I so, know, and I wonder I, if we'll I, see I, a little less of that, of the communal space, you know, in the next, over the next couple of years too. Right, I mean, the challenge with all of this, however, is that you don't want to, you, you have to, the, 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 the CapEx that's required, the, the, the biggest deterrent that has kept a lot of people out of this business is that it's, it's a tremendous CapEx, right? Huge. It costs a lot to yes. develop a facility, real estate, co-working space. Let's talk about co-working space. So um, yep. you need to ensure that if you're going to deploy resources and you're going to take down, you know, a 15, 20-year lease or, uh, uh, well, I guess in this case, the traditional, if you're going to do it in a management agreement, that's a little different. However, in a management agreement, the challenge that you have, okay, um, is that you may have you may still be required by the management agreement to commit capital to the build out okay yeah but what you're going to do is you're also going to be giving up your upside to the landlord because you're going to be having your there's going to be some sort of revenue sharing right yeah. and so depending yeah, on how that's well, but you give up the upside of the revenue but you drastically reduce risk. the risk that's in correct. a downturn market of course so 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 that also impacts valuation right because now all of a sudden you know yeah. you're uh, you have you're a flag you're a flag operator yes yeah. uh, i i don't you look the the um the hotel industry has employed that model for many many years right mm -hmm. for many many years so um i when think we're going to see more of it right are we going to see more of it in the co-working world I think that there will be, I, I don't necessarily know that that many co-working operators that have that operational expertise that would be able to execute it well enough for a landlord to say, let me, let me build this for you and turn it over to you. And then we're going to do a revenue share. Mm -hmm. I think that we're more likely to see, particularly if there, if we see some defaults, we're more likely to see landlords, some landlords just take back the space and begin to try to operate it themselves and yeah. learn some of the best practices from uh, the co-working companies that might not necessarily uh, survive. We did see that in 2000, by the way, with Regis, right? And, and HQ, that did happen. Where landlords, that they, landlords took back their spaces? Landlords took back the space and began operating them. And they basically held them as, you know, they, they operated them until a, a large occupier was willing to come in and sign, you know, wanted that space for a long-term lease. So then yeah. they would just clear out the, they would close down the operation and lease it to the larger company and then yeah. recapitalize the building. Look, I mean, my landlord, uh, my midtown location here in the city was uh, an executive with SL Green, um, you know, that has a big portfolio of real estate here in the city for a long time, of course. And he said, Lisa, you know, the secret is, is, 30 years ago, I mean, this is what landlords were, have been doing all along. We just never called it co-working. You know, we couldn't rent or, you know, rent out a floor, lease out a floor. We'd, we'd chop it up and we'd do these smaller term, you know, executive offices for people. And I guess more so it was called executive suites. So, right. I mean, what, co what co-working brought into it, though, as we know, are all the additional amenities, which is something that we frankly, again, we could have a, a long, continued long conversation, but we've seen yeah. that in the residential side of the business and development as well, that, you know, part of what happened with every new condo that came on the market here is there's new, who has a, a pool and a gym and a childcare and 
all the, you know, Asana and the, you know, everything. It's a, it, it's amenity driven. It's all the perks. Yeah. Um, Most landlords, however, we're, we're never really, the, the way that the, the capital structure, the capital markets work for commercial office buildings, there are many landlords that are not, they don't believe that they're rewarded for doing all of the things that a co-working company would do, right? They're, they're rewarded by the ability to sign a long-term lease where they have 10, 15 years of income that's guaranteed that allows them to go and bond the building and create a bond, essentially. And they're rewarded from that. And so that is a much bigger opportunity uh, for, for, for landlords, right? So yeah. there, 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 there's, there's a lot of change going on in the market. A lot of change. Yeah. All right. Last question before Tell we go into the lightning round. What's the, la what's the best thing that happened to you this year, Sean? Oh, wow. The best thing that happened to me this year. Yeah. Oh, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's uh, the best thing that happened to me this year was, you know, it, it was a moment. It wasn't a, um, it was a moment in time. And it was recently where, uh, my daughter looked at me and she said, uh, Daddy, I'm so happy to have you at home. It's so mm. nice to, to spend so much time with you because you used to come home so late. And when she said that to me, mm. I sat back and really began to appreciate um, uh, the, the I, I began to sort of examine, you know, what that time actually really means that I can't get back. So, I mean... Yeah. As bad as it sounds, and, and as bad as this situation has been, I think there's been a lot of good coming from it because me and I think a lot of other folks and a lot of people, sorry, and a lot of other people um, have now begun to reevaluate what we um, uh, what we think of as you know what is the right way to work, what is the right way to live, you know what do we need. You know, what should we be spending on? And we're now sort of taking a much closer look at our lives and, and, and able to be a little more introspective on those things that are most important. And I think that's been, you know, one of the, uh, uh, one of the best things that's happened this year, actually. 100%. I love it. Okay, you ready for our lighting round? Uh, I think so. Okay, number one, Sean, rename the coronavirus. Ah, uh, the Great Awakening. I love it. You're a few people have, have said that. And I, that's probably my, my favorite too. Oh, what's they? the best, yeah. what's the best advice you've ever gotten? Um, the best advice I have ever gotten. That's a good question. Um, um, is, is, uh, just to start. Just start. Just start. Mm. Just do it. Just start. Love it. However, no matter how it, just a, a small, get, build the momentum, but it doesn't happen if you don't just start. Yep. Where are you turning for inspiration right now? Not someone or person related to you. Is it a, a, a book, a, a person, mentor? Uh, oh, it's interesting. Um, um, uh, it's sort of the, 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 the fractal world, nature, you know, the, mm. the, the, the notion of uh, a fractal world is the idea that patterns exist everywhere in the world. It's the, the, you know, if you look at a snowflake and you look at the smallest element of a snowflake, uh, mm. it's, it's, it's the concept of pi, 
right? Yeah. That, that, that just repeats itself constantly. If you look at a cauliflower in its small, uh, small cauliflower, it just represents what a much larger cauliflower would be. So I'm constantly looking in nature for those fractal patterns. And I use that when I think about developing our processes, our software, um, uh, uh, and our business that, you know, if by, 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 by learning from these fractal patterns that maybe I can apply something that's happening in nature to what we're actually doing. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Early bird or night owl. Oh, early bird or night owl. That's I'm both. Both. As long as I can, as, as long as I can, can, if, if, it, it, I go in both ways. If I, if I, if I go to bed early, I will be, it really depends on what the amount of sleep that I get. Yeah. But I can go, go both ways. Yeah. Nice. What's your favorite word? Oh, my favorite word. That's a really good um, question. Um, uh, uh, my favorite word or phrase? Favorite word. Word. Yeah. But um, what, do, what do people think of when they think of Sean Black? Or what do you think of? Oh. What's the word that comes to you? Oh, oh, I can tell you what the word that, all, it, that, that I, I often am described as intense. intense. I know you can't get that from this conversation. You probably have never thought that about me. <laughs> no way. Of course I thought that about you. You can be intense because you're intensely passionate about what you do. Yeah, that's yeah, Look, You're a former boxer. Come on. That's, that's Boxers fair. have to that's be fair. intense, I think. Yeah, okay, name your, what, what's your go-to punch? I sh- Oh my go-to! Oh my go-to punch is uh, uh, it's it's a counter punch. Wait, what is that? Show it. Show me. What's the, the counter punch? Uh, not a jab. Yeah. Not a hook. Not a. The, the counter punch is 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 any punch that could have could occur after you allow someone else to throw the first punch. Okay. You let so them. It doesn't throw matter. The, doesn't, doesn't matter. Left hook, right hook. Doesn't matter. But you just Nothing. you allow you allow them to go first, and you capitalize on their weakness. Ooh, look at that. Okay, favorite business book, podcast, or talk. Oh, oh, that's oh, that's so easy. Uh, David and Goliath, Malcolm Gladwell. Mm, Oh, nice. Best TV show or movie that you've watched during quarantine? Uh, I'm trying to remember that the the Big Little Fires. I'm watching this new series with Reese Witherspoon. Oh, Big Little Lies. No, no, I saw Big Little. No, it's a new one. It's I think it's like. Oh yes, yes, I watched it. Yes, yes, Big Little Fires. Really? I yeah. saw it. Yes, yes, yes. Um, toilet paper, Sean, is the hottest topic during the time of Charmin. corona. Do you pull? Do you pull over or under? Oh, oh, I actually, I, I, <laughs> I fold under. <laughs> I like it. Twenty twenty or twenty twenty one? That's our last question, and then you're going to be able to head in from the rain. Uh, the twenty twenty. What's the question? Twenty twenty or twenty twenty one? Twenty twenty one. You're done with this year. Uh, I don't understand the question. I, I just assumed. I I thought I thought. Oh, I'm gonna, it's starting to rain. So I know. When you said 2021. I thought, oh, that's the future. So I like that number better. Yeah. What is the yeah. the context of the question? You know, just uh, it's just to don't overthink it. Like, do you 2020 oh. or 2021? Which do you choose? Oh, I choose. Oh, okay. I I understand what you're saying. Oh, let me give you a little bit of light. I would say that if I can give you context, 2020, 2020, because it's now. Yeah. It's in my control. And so being I'm very now. focused. I'm very focused on what I can control right now. Yeah. And I will, now. I will, I will not make tomorrow's problems today's concentrate on what I can accomplish now. 
and uh, just make sure that uh, uh, what we're doing is that we're doing it with, you know, incredible vigor. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And just start in the words of Sean Black. Just, just start. start. Just start. Um, thank you so much for your time yeah, and for sharing you. your passion, your your intense your intensity and passion for real estate. Um, as we can see, you and I can both see, we could talk for hours about about this stuff. And I love talking to you about this stuff every time we do. So Super fun. Thanks, awesome. thanks for the gift of time. Thanks everyone okay. who tuned in and uh, have a great weekend. Ciao, ciao. Bye.